0: Good morning, good morning, Rabbotai. Breakfast today is sponsored in honor of Oad Fisherman Wishing Him Aslaha, sponsored anonymously. Junam. Breakfast is also dedicated for the Rifuash of Yahushua ben Rifka, sponsored by David E. Sitt. The Cold Brew is sponsored in Loving Memory, Luli Nishmat Mordechai ben Rivka, Lava Shalom, sponsored anonymously. Rabbotai. We read in this week's Parashah about the demise of the greatest Sadekit that we've read about up until now in the Torah, Hayeh Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. And unbelievably, Avraham decides that he needs to bury Sarah Emenu. Where does he want to bury her? He wants to bury her specifically in a a burial plot that does not belong to him. Avraham has land, why doesn't he just bury her anywhere? The answer is he asks Ephron ben Sohar, he says, please, I would like you to speak on my behalf. <speaking in Hebrew> please go and speak to Ephron on my behalf. I want the the uh, cave of ma'chpelah of doubles, a that belongs to him, Sadeh, which is at the edge of his sadeh, the edge of his field. Ephron comes back and Ephron says, you want the, what's it called? You want the field? I'll give you the field. He's talking all the time about the field. What's fascinating is that the Zohar tells us that Avraham wanted this Ma'arat HaMakhbela, although it's true that it had two floors, Avraham wanted the Machpelah because it was the cave of doubles. Machpelah. Rashi gives us two reasonings as to why the Ma'arat HaMachpelah was called Machpelah double. One reason is because it had two floors. The second reason for the Ma'arat HaMachpelah is because it had doubles in it. Who was buried there already? Adam and Hava. Who was destined to be buried there? Adam and Hava, Abraham and Sarah, Yitzhak and Rivka and Yaakov and Leah. It was a cave of doubles. I remember reading the words of Rashi and I was blown away. How in the world do you have these two Peshatim, two interpretations of the Maratha Either it means that it's the cave of the giants of the world. These, these couples that built homes and laid pipelines and lay lines of energy that would last for the duration of the entire world. Or it means that there was two floors. How could it be one Peshat, one understanding is so beautiful, intense, powerful, the other peshat, the other understanding is so obtuse, it's so arcane, it's so uh, simple, it's something which is uninspiring at all. And the answer is Rabotai. I want to share with you something that I think is magnificent. The Zohar says, and I want to read to you the words, he says as follows, <clears throat> Abraham saw or Gan Eden, he saw the light of Gan Eden shining from that place. He understood exactly what was going on over there. Let's come and see and analyze. If Ephron would have seen in his cave, what Abraham had seen, he never would have sold it in a million years excuse me, He didn't see anything in there, not a single thing. Ela Something is only revealed to its true owner. because of this, it was revealed to Avraham Because it was it was destined for him, it was his. Efron lo hit galad. Efron did not see it. Shelo ayah lo helik bo. There was nothing portion, There was no portion for him in it, and therefore, Lo ra'ah bo elah chashecha. lecha. Let me prove it to you. He says shekenu. Avraham lo bikesh elay etam arah. Avraham only says viyiteli et me'arata machpela asher lo asher bekseis adio. What does Avraham want to buy? Just the cave. Just the cave. What is Ephron talking about? Ephron says, oh, I'll sell you this sadeh. Abraham doesn't want the sadeh. He never asked for the sadeh. Why does Abraham buy the sadeh? He doesn't want it. Ephron could not fathom that that's what Abraham wants. Why? Because all Ephron saw was a two-floor cave. Who cares about that? You understand? Two sections of the cave that's all it was for him so he couldn't believe that that's what Abraham meant he must have meant the field that has it and he's using just as a marker to describe which field he wants why am I telling you all of this and what is it its relevance to each and every one of us on a daily basis Rabotai, There's something here that is magnificent. The Zohar says that the only reason why Ephron did not see the light, the Gan Eden, the power of this place is because it wasn't his. Ephron in the Torah is not called a Navi. Ephron in the Torah is not called a Sadiq. Ephron in the Torah is called or is indicated to be a greedy guy who happens to be also a bit of a shady character. First, he says, Oh, sure, whatever you want, Fandal, you take whatever you want, it's yours. You're a prince, you're the best, I'll give it to you. And then Abraham says, No, no, I want to pay. Af- Ephron raises the price to an exorbitant sum of money, okay? For something he doesn't even know the value of. So, Rabbutai, why does the Zohar say that if Ephron, it was his khalik, he would have sensed the light of Gan Eden coming from it? The answer is, Rabutai. That such is the way of life. Our Gemara tells us that there are three things. A person loves the place he lives in. You hear people all the time talking about where they live in. It's the best. Ask anyone about Manhattan who lives in Manhattan. They love it. Ask anyone who lives in Brooklyn about Brooklyn. They love it. Ask a guy who lives in Manhattan about Brooklyn. Shema Israel. cover your ears. You're going to have nivul pear coming your way. You ask a deal guy about Brooklyn, Shema Israel. they hate it. You ask a Brooklyn guy about a deal, they're shambling it. I can barely wait to get out of there after two months. That's how it works. Chen makom al the The charm of a place is upon those that live there. So we think that that means that the charm comes because you live there. No, that's not the answer. If you were supposed to live there, God puts the charm of that place in your heart so that you will move there. Because that's your maqam, that's your place. There's a famous line that says, Mishane maqam, Mishane Mazal. Change your place, change your luck. Which means that your luck is what brought you to the place that you are in. Whether it's positive by the way, or negative. <laughs> The charm of a woman is upon her husband. So, Makom, Isha, for the 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 place and the and the woman and what's it called and uh, and the Mecca and a purchase of a of a deal. Each one of them finds a certain place in your heart. You try and figure out why it is that somebody understood when they looked at a real estate project that this was going to be a place or a job or a deal that was going to bring in millions. Everyone else also saw the building. None of them could see the vision for the future. It's fascinating. Afterwards, everybody looks, "Wow, the guy he bought in Dumbo, what's it called, right? <laughs> the guy bought over there. This guy bought in NoHo and SoHo, but the, Oh, whatever it is, right? How does it, the other guy also has a development just like that? He also could have thought of that. How come he didn't bite? And the answer is because the person who's supposed to get that deal, the deal shines for him. When a person is supposed to get a certain woman or a certain man as their husband, the person shines for them. God places the hand of that person on the person who's supposed to receive it. Avram was supposed to be the proprietor, the owner of the Me'arat HaMakhbelah, so he looked at it and he understood this was a very holy place. And therefore, that's why he was able to later acquire it this idea is expressed in the Torah as well. Yismaḥ Moshe chelko. Moshe will rejoice in the gift, the gift which is his portion. Why does Moshe find joy in this matnat? Because it is chelko. Kisham we say, what do we say, with the helek of That place is belongs to the leader of the Jewish people. Every time you find a person who's supposed to have a helek, that khilik shines for the person. Rabutay, and this is the reason why, I don't think you ever understand this. You meet someone who's not religious at all, they tell you why you keep Shabbat. Oh my gosh. How many hours? 25 hours? Oh my gosh. me I can't believe the baby is in such pain. They can't understand any of the mitzvot that you're doing. And you're like trying to show them how it's beautiful and they don't get it. They're like, if it was me, after 20 minutes, I'm out, I can't even handle it anymore. <laughs> us, we can't live without Shabbat. Them, they can't live with Shabbat. How could such a thing be? The answer is, if a person chooses, Adonai Yaakov <speaking in Hebrew> Since we are God's portion, Amonai <speaking in> Therefore, lo He never sees anything bad with us. Because we have a shine, a charm, a glory, even if we're not perfect because we're gods. And Rabbi the same thing is true of us with God. The same thing is true of the people that surround us in our life. If you want to know why or what it is, how a person should be able to decide or discern whether something is for him, there should be something that pulls you for a business deal. Something, I hear these people tell me, they say, you think I'm crazy, Rabbi? I was walking past, a guy told me this with his own mouth. I was walking past the building, and the building spoke to me. I bet you're going to put me, he says, in a padded room. I said, Rohi, I'm not putting you in a padded room. I'm going to open up the Torah. I'm going to show you where the Torah already says it. The same thing is true. A person decides to get married. What makes them decide to get married? All of a sudden, something about the person, it speaks to them. There's a hen, and that's when you know that that is the helet rabotai if a person is with someone and they are not hearing that voice then that is a sign a siman perhaps that they need to reconsider whether or not that person is their khalik a business deal the same way people are telling you look it's great let me show you all the numbers if this guy is so hot on the deal maybe he should buy it if for me it doesn't speak to me you don't have to get involved You're supposed to feel whether or not this is for you. And that's why this is the case. Rabbi it turns out to me, and I think there's something magnificent about this, that sometimes the way I can feel, I can sense if something is going to be for me or not, is to decide to invest and have a khalak in something. And I want to share with you the power of this idea. Rabotai, if you feel like your children are your khelek, are your lot, if you feel that these are the kids I was supposed to have, all of a sudden those kids have a charm in your eyes. And you know these parents that are fighting with their children all the time? It's because they've somehow detached themselves from the idea that this is my portion and these kids are my lot and I cannot walk away from them because they are mine. If a person feels that and they reinvigorate that thought in their minds suddenly there's a little bit of hen, a little bit of hesed and suddenly the fights that you have seem to melt away. The same thing is true when a person decides and that's I think why we're finding in our world today it's so easy and possible for people to walk their own separate ways in marriages. When people thought about a marriage in a way that this is my khilik, this is my lot forever. Somehow, they managed to put things back together. The more the availability of this was present and on the table, that you could walk away, people could walk away from the thought that they were destined for each other. The minute you stop thinking that, suddenly, there's a possibility, a chink, a crack in that element, that this is my khelek If there's a chink in that feeling, in that machshava, then there becomes a chink in its actual reality. What a powerful thing we have when we recognize that something is our chilek, is our portion in life. And I want to just end maybe, Rabbi with one last element of this. I think that when a person judges somebody else, sometimes they don't recognize that the situation is not the same for the person that they are judging or thinking harshly about. You see, because your connection with your Judaism, with your marriage, with your children, makes it so that for you it's a pleasure to make them feel good. For you it's a pleasure to make concessions to them. For you it's a pleasure to be able to take off time from your business, from your work, from your own passions and be with them. But for someone else, if they don't have that, all of a sudden the guy, he can't, they tell an amazing story about a priest. A new priest moves to an area and as he walks into the area, He recognizes that uh, everybody over here in his area, they they need to fix this, they're not religious enough, they're not this. And he starts one by one and he's getting more and more powerful each time he makes a new decree and everyone listens. And then finally he realizes that all of his parishioners are working so hard and they don't have any money. So he says, You know what? I'm going to pretend. He dresses up like one of the regular guys. He takes off his collar. He puts on the clothing of a regular peasant. He goes to work every day. And you know what? As a worker, he hangs out with them. And then he sees they get paid. Everybody goes home at the end of the day. They go to the local inn. And they're spending all their money on alcohol before they even get home. They come home to their wife with a couple of copecks left over after they've drank away most of their wages. He realizes that this is a big problem. He stands up in church on Sunday, and he says, I've realized that there's a huge problem in our church. The problem is the problem of alcohol. He speaks about the sins of the alcohol. He speaks about the sins of the pleasures of the flesh. And he says, from now on, it's a decree in our uh, in our town. Alcohol is forbidden. And anyone that dares to touch a sip of alcohol is going to be punished tremendously. Yahani, he abolished the beverage fund. Rabbi what happens, some guy, the thought of not drinking made him so nervous, the thought of not drinking drove him to drink. He goes and drowns the thought of not drinking in a big glass of, uh, of moonshine. Had that is rolling around on the floor, drunk off his face. Everybody sees the guy Sunday evening, the day that the, the priest made the decree They don't know what to do. They come running to the priest and they say, look, he broke the thing. You said he's going to get punished terribly. What are you going to do? The priest understands that what he does right now is going to set the precedent for how everyone is going to look at him and anything that he says. On the other hand, he knows that if he punishes the guy terribly, right, what's going to happen? Everybody's going to walk out. The priest says something very smart. He says, the truth is in order to punish somebody, you have to understand the depth of their temptation. I never had a drink of whiskey in my life. So how can I understand the temptation that he had in order to decide what punishment is right? Go get me whatever it was that he drank. I'm gonna have a sip of it in front of everybody. And once I understand the temptation, then I'm gonna decide the punishment. They run to the thing. They can't believe it. That does, right? They go get him the glass. They bring him the glass. Everyone's gathered around. The priest takes the thing of moonshine, puts it to his lips, takes a sip. Spits it all out. Spits it all. It's horrible. And the priest gives a big bang on the thing. He says, I was going to give the guy a terrible punishment until I tasted what he drank. The punishment for this man is the fact that he had to drink such garbage. So I thought to myself, is that a clever priest? Yeah, yeah. Sounds clever, right? Yeah, go secondhand. Why is he clever? Listen to this, this is very powerful. Why is he clever? He's clever because he understands, that he's trying to understand the temptation. That's what makes him clever, right? It makes him clever that now he's punished the guy without punishing the guy. But in the end of the day, now what does every alcoholic learn Now what's the great punishment that the priest promised him? That he's going to have drank the drink that he drank. Which means that there's no punishment at all. What is the punishment? The punishment is that you drank. So is the priest a smart guy or a dib? Sounds like he's a dib. Because now he just destroyed his own punishment. Listen to the wisdom here. The wisdom is that the priest was trying to communicate to these kids, to these young people, this is the curse this is the punishment he rephrased what they were doing into a punishment he's trying to help them see that the thing that they're trying to do and they think is the greatest blessing in their life come with me change your chelek recognize that the greatest punishment of being an alcoholic and rolling around in the gutters it's not what I'm going to do to you. It's what you did to yourself. Do you hear me now? That's what we're communicating in this idea as well. It was an idea that this that Rebbe, Rav Chaim of Sanz, gave this mashal. And you know what I see in it? What I see in it is, a lot of times if our kids do the wrong things, we try and think of alternate ways to punish them. But really what we really should be doing is trying to communicate to them what is the hell that we want them to have a piece of and how could they change their perspective to recognize that the thing that they are doing is not doing them any favors so if a kid is sitting there and he's sucked into social media and he spends all of his time on his phone and you're going to punish him and what are you going to do you're going to take it away or you're going to do something else or you're going to let not let the guy go on the vacation you're going to try and punish him for being bad in school that's not going to work because the guy thinks that the punishment is one thing and what he wants to do is something else. The greatest job of chinuch is to make the person realize that the thing that you are punishing him for is its own punishment. And if you chose the life that I'm trying to lay out in front of you, you'd recognize that God is our portion. And we should be always to do the great things with our lives, Amen. to to want good things, and thereby to be able to experience those things, not as a burden, but as a burden.